that is true. Uh, Brent and I have lived through two miscarriages in the last year, and this sermon series is really just a uh, kind of a biblical response to my own thoughts, feelings, and questions, as the video said, and uh, it's really uh, going to be driven by the emotions that, that we kind of felt and, and experienced uh, as we lived through those moments and, and still are living through those moments in some ways. Uh, but really, the goal is to kind of look biblically at, at these things, and uh, I will just read my wife's words that she posted on Facebook Uh, 2013 held the hardest moments in my life. I was pregnant twice. We even got to see their little hearts beat. On May 15th, I lost my first child. And October 14th, I lost my second. I never knew that I could feel so much love for two babies that I hadn't even met yet. And I never could have imagined the agony that I felt when I lost them. And it was, uh, there was a lot of agony and it was horrible and it's still pretty horrible. It's been months now. And uh, over these five weeks, I guess uh, it will be a healing thing for me too. I'll just be able to kind of express the thoughts, the feelings uh, that I've had and that Bryn has had. And one of these sermons is really uh, an answer to her question more than it is to my question as as we go through this. And it's interesting because after the first miscarriage, I remember sitting there and and we weren't with our midwife, we were uh, with somebody else because we weren't supposed to have... Uh, an appointment, and, and I remember the, the midwife sitting with us and talking to us, a little counseling session, and she was explaining to us that when we told people about the miscarriages, uh, that uh, we would get a lot of different responses. I, that's the only part of the conversation I really remember. It's one of those moments that you just, it's kind of happening, and, and she told us that that, that was the case because... Uh, You'd have some people who were very sympathetic and, and, would, and would say, wow, that's hard and that's difficult. But uh, there would be a group of people, especially older people, she told us, that, that would never have, uh, have really known about these pregnancies because they didn't have modern technology. And so miscarriage would just be really far from their thinking, especially that early of a miscarriage. And so for them, it would kind of be like, why is this even a thing to you? I mean, why is this a, why is this a big deal? Because it wasn't something that, you know, 40 years ago, uh, people would have really experienced that early on. And then there's other people uh, who, who would think, you know, you know, at least it wasn't a baby that had been born. I mean, come on, get over it and, and just deal with it. You know, it's not that big of a deal. And uh, and it's not like we've been until this point running around telling everybody that we had miscarriages. It, uh, we started to tell people, interestingly, uh, that Bryn was pregnant the first time and it was kind of slowly. And actually, I remember sitting with somebody in our church thinking, should I tell them yet? And and didn't. And then uh, and then the miscarriage happened and, and it was like rewind. We have to stop telling people now and we need to tell some people that we're not having a baby and uh, but it's not like we ran around telling everybody but but this is what she told us would be uh, kind of the the, the kind of broad range of responses to us bringing it up and uh, maybe I don't know why, but, but for some reason it seems, maybe because of those types of responses and the things that she told us, but miscarriage is like not a very socially acceptable topic. And uh, I'm not sure why that is, but, but it's not talked about very much. And in our society, it seems like we talk about a lot of things that used to be. I mean, if you went back to our grandparents, my grandparents' generation, like they would never talk about certain things that we talk about. But miscarriage seems to still be 
one of those topics. In fact, just posting about this series online and kind of saying that we were uh, that we had experienced these miscarriages. A friend of mine that that I was pretty close to, really. We don't see each other. We're high school friends, but but she she said, "I'm sorry to hear you guys experience miscarriages. I can relate to the pain of the loss. What a brave talk." topic to share about. I do wish it was talked about more. One of the hardest holidays for me after ours was Mother's Day every year because at church all mothers would be asked to stand. Did I count? Was I a mother even if I miscarried at 11 weeks? It is hard to know and so I didn't stand but that was painful too because it felt like I was not being true to myself or to the memory of my baby. I never knew that this girl, this friend of mine, had had a miscarriage before. And, and as we've kind of put ourselves out there in the last several weeks, it's, it's been surprising to kind of hear people start to say, well, oh, man, that's, a, that's an important topic because we've been through that same type of pain. And actually, one in four uh, pregnancies end in miscarriage, they tell us, and I think uh, we actually heard higher at one point, but yet nobody seems to talk about it. It seems for whatever reason to be this, this socially kind of unacceptable kind of, uh, let's, let's put that over somewhere else in the dark corner of what we don't talk about. And, and so here's maybe the question, maybe you're one of those people, you're like, this is uncomfortable and I wish you weren't talking about this right now. And uh, So here's the question, I mean, why, why are, are we choosing to be so open about this. And I think it's actually uh, the answer to this, and that's what I want to explore today, is, is really uh, the answer to a broader question that maybe somewhere inside of you, you you've kind of had, uh, but you maybe you haven't processed it out or you haven't thought about it or, uh, or it hasn't really registered that this is a question, but it's somewhere in, inside of you about things that you've experienced. And that is this, like, when should we share our struggles with other people? When should we keep them in? When should we just not talk about it? And when should we open up and put ourselves out there and say, look, I've been through this. I went through this. This happened to me. I struggle with this. And it's a hard thing to know. And, and really the extremes we definitely can see quite easily, right? I mean, if you're on Facebook, then you know one extreme, and that extreme is like every time a person stubs their toe or, or has a, another breakup or goes through anything that they consider to be difficult, then they, then they put it out there on Facebook, and it's always the worst day that they've ever had. And, you know, and, and these are the people that you're no longer following on Facebook because you just got sick of reading about how you know, their food wasn't cooked well enough when they went to the restaurant. Every, everything's a struggle, and everything gets shared, and, and somewhere you're, you know like that doesn't seem right. And you, you've had friends that every time you see them, it's just, they just start like complaining. I mean, it's really just complaining. It's like, look, you, you got it. Like, how's your day? Like, well, oh man, I can't believe that that person didn't say hello to me when I walked into my office this morning. And, and, and man, I had to do some paperwork after that and it was terrible. And I don't know if I'm gonna be able to finish this day. And they just like launch in this and you don't, you, you find yourself not spending time with them, right? And hopefully after our last series about love, if you were here for that, then maybe you've called them and you've spent a little time with them, but you don't want to spend time with them. You're just doing it out of love, right? Because, because there's, a, there's just an extreme where people just share everything and, and it just seems like too much somewhere inside of us. And then on the other side, there are people that you and I know who will never open up about anything. 
I mean, for them, like standing on a stage and talking about a struggle is like, that's like their worst nightmare. And, and if you ask them how they're doing, it's always fine. And, and if you, you, you say, look, it seems like something's going on in your life, even if they're struggling absolutely horribly with whatever, they're never, ever, ever going to open up. And maybe it's because of how they've grown up, or maybe it's because they think that's the tough guy thing to do, or whatever it is. But they're like a vault with their struggles, and they're never going to open up. They're never going to be in a connect group at our church because they just it's not it's not gonna they're not gonna express the things that they felt and the things that they've dealt with and you can know them for years and years and years and all you really know about them is what they think about the weather you know I mean that's it and so we have these extremes and somewhere in the middle hopefully we have the right thing I mean the, the right amount of sharing and, and sharing at the right time and sharing with the right people and and, and so the question that I want to answer today for you whether you're comfortable with just blabbing everything and, and you post everything online or whatever, or if you're on the other side and you're just a person who, who doesn't share anything, I, that's, my, my goal is to not help you feel differently about that today. My goal is to help you kind of get an idea of, of when, according to the Bible really, when you should choose to share things. There's two answers, and I want to just give uh, just two really key guidelines for sharing. And, and one I'll give up front, and I'll come back to it at the very end, but it, it's not going to be kind of the driving force today. But one is, is simply this, and it needs to be made so clear. One time that you need to share your struggles, one situation is when you need help. If you need help, if you're like, I can't break this addiction, or I'm struggling with depression, and I just don't think I can get out of it, or I'm having these thoughts that I know I shouldn't be having, or, or this relationship is no good, and I don't really know how to deal with it or get out of it, and you need help, then that, that, that is a time when you should share. You need to go find somebody, and if you're a Christian, you need to find a Christian, and you just need to say, look, here, here is my struggle. This is my difficulty, and I, I cannot do this by myself. I cannot get through this on my own. And so one, one, of, the, one of the key kind of guidelines for when you should share is, is that. If you need help, then share. I mean, don't be scared about what people are going to think. Don't be worried about, oh, are they going to think that I share too much? If you need help and you can't get through something, then go talk to somebody about it. And we do that. We know that instinctively when it comes to our physical health, right? Like, uh, we, I don't like to go to the doctor, but when I know that, that it's not something that's going to fix itself and I'm, I can't deal with it on my own, you know, I can't walk it off and if it keeps bleeding, I'm going to die, then I'm going to go to the doctor, right? Like, I mean, we kind of know that. And, and it's the same with our struggles and our hurts and our pains. When, when we cannot do something for ourselves, when we can't get through something on our own, then we need to share. The second reason is really what I want to look at today, and, and, and we're going to look at, the, at a story about a man named Paul, and we're going to see him kind of open up and start to share his own feelings and his own struggles, and, and it's going to be surrounded by the reason that he has chosen to share those struggles. Paul was a man, if you don't know him, that we read about in the New Testament of the Bible, who spent his whole life spreading 
Christianity. He went everywhere that he could possibly get to, telling people that Jesus had died on a cross to save people from sin, and that he, even more, had risen again. He had come back to life, and that's what was celebrated about five weeks from now on a day called Easter. And because of that, Paul faced intense persecution. People did not like him coming around into their towns and teaching this religion that they didn't agree with. And and we read about one of those situations that is connected to the letter that we're going to read today. Acts 19, 23 through 31. And I I just want to read this to you because uh, this is the story that kind of drives what Paul is, is talking about when he writes the letter that we'll look at today. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great Artemis, goddess Artemis, will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. He says, look, we make these idols. We make these things out of silver that that are worshipped by people, and it's bringing in a lot of money. And if this guy named Paul is telling people that there's no God besides his God, the Christian God, and that they should not worship anything else besides this Christian God, we are going to lose a lot of money. But generally, people are pretty smart, right? Like, if you say, I'm going to lose a lot of money on this, it's not usually a good argument to, like, completely change culture, you know? And so people usually use a lot of other reasons. And, and so he knows, he knows what to get, like, how to get to the heartstrings of these people. He says, look, our God will no longer be worshipped, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if Paul continues to preach this stuff. And then it finishes, soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. And so the crowd is now in an uproar and Paul is shipped off to go stay in somebody's house because they know that if Paul shows up in the temple, he shows up near the the goddess of Artemis, then what will take place is that he will get killed. And so Paul is stuck in a house, scared, worried. And kind of in the midst of this, he writes this letter. It's called 2 Corinthians, if you were to look at it. In the Bible. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth, and it's a very personal letter. He's already written a book called 1 Corinthians, a letter to this same church, and we studied that when we talked about love. And, and that book is very like theoretical, like this is how you should run church, and this is what love is. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this letter that is like deeply intimate. It's like very personal and very much about him and his struggles. And he begins it in a way that is just real and open and honest. And he expresses his own 
struggles. Right about this time when all of this took place, he writes this letter, and, and this is one of the things he says, and it's not the very beginning, but, but listen to what he says. This is open. This is sharing. This is like, hey, here's my struggle. This is what we went through. This is what I felt. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. He says, we were under great pressure, which means weighed down. He says, it was beyond our ability or beyond our power to continue to persevere, to live, to go forward. We just couldn't do it anymore. We despaired of life. It means we were like beyond the hope of life. We felt like we had come to our end. And he said that we felt, he actually hadn't, but we felt like we had received the sentence of death. Doesn't Paul describe how we feel when we grieve? I mean, if you've ever, and I'm sure you have, like grieved something, you've been sad, you've been in despair, you've struggled, you've hurt, you you just, you know these feelings. Like to be weighed down, don't you just feel heavy when you grieve? It's like, I just, I don't want to get up. I don't, I don't want to have to talk to people. I can't focus because I just feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. And like it's beyond your ability sometimes. You're like, I can't, I cannot, I cannot get through this. And you said that, you probably said that. And people are like, you can get through this, you know, and you're like, and, but in your feelings, because Paul is expressing feelings right here. He's not expressing theology. He's not expressing something out of his brain. He's like, look, I don't feel like I can actually handle this. This is beyond my ability. And like where you don't even hope of life. I mean like you just despaired of everything. You're just laying there and you just, you wish almost that you had died. And, and not only do you wish you had died, but you feel like you might die. And Paul, again, he's, he's not actually like sentenced to death. He gets sentenced to death later in his life. But when he writes this, it's the story that we just saw. I mean, he's in a room and people are mad at him. But, but he's not actually sentenced to death, but he feels like he's going to die. Paul is describing grief. Describing what you and I intrinsically know when we've lost loved ones, when we've we've had relationships that are broken up, when we've gone through financial struggles, uh, when when it just gets hard to get out of bed because we're so heavy and life is so difficult and we feel as though we might just literally die because it is beyond our ability to do anything and we don't want to do anything because we can't do anything and we feel like we'll never get out of it. It's just been heaped upon us over and over and we are grieving. Paul's saying at the beginning of this letter, we grieved and I want you to know how bad it was for me. And what he says around it really explains why I have chosen to get up on a stage and talk about miscarriage and and what we dealt with through those miscarriages and it explains when you ought to share. Now here's, here's the, the funny, no, it's not funny, ha-ha, funny maybe, but, but one commentator now, writing now, like thousands of years after Paul, says about this, uh, it says, he thinks that the danger at Ephesus was comparatively so slight that it cannot be supposed to be the subject of reference here without exposing the apostle to a charge of cowardice very unlike his fearless character, hence 
He supposes Paul refers to some deadly sickness which he had suffered under. Now, isn't this the problem with sharing our feelings? Some guy comes along thousands of years later and is like, look, that couldn't have been the situation because how bad could it have been when Paul was sitting in his house? I mean, really, some people were just mad at him, but he faced far worse. And isn't that one of the reasons, just one of the reasons that you don't express yourself when you're struggling? Because you know, like, you're going to write it down. Somebody's going to read your journal in 2,000 years and be like, that couldn't have been over that relationship. I mean, they couldn't have felt all of that over that situation because it wasn't that bad. And isn't that why we fear? I mean, isn't that what kind of makes people uncomfortable with miscarriage? For example, it's like, well, I'm going to express this and I'm going to talk about feeling like we were under great pressure and we didn't know how we could get through those moments and how we never want to live those moments again. And people are going to be like, well, at least you didn't lose a baby who had been born. I mean, how could you really feel that? I mean, people have lost baby, their children who are adults, and, and how, could you really, how could you really feel like that? And Paul's being criticized 2,000 years later. And, and history shows us, and his letters show us, that in the church of Corinth, he had a lot of critics. Uh, there were a lot of people there who really didn't like them. And I can imagine that as soon as they get this letter, they're like, oh, this, this guy serious? I mean, come on, it wasn't that bad. If I was there, I wouldn't have felt any grief at all. And here's why Paul chooses to open up and just to put himself out there. Here's what he said. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now, this doesn't give us the reason, but it gives us a foundation. It shows us what Paul thinks about God. And what we think about God really is important when it comes to how we deal with grief and what we express and the things that we, we put out there for the rest of the world to, to hear and, and to judge us on, I guess, if you will. He says, praise be to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. And here's the deal. Sometimes when it comes to grief, we want to ask, and this is something we'll talk about specifically next week, but we want to ask why would God allow for this to happen? And don't get your hopes up. I don't have a great answer for you that I'm going to give you next week, but I'm going to explore that with you. I don't. I, don't. I mean, I, would, I don't have a perfect answer. But Paul isn't even thinking about that. Paul is not thinking about why these things have happened. Paul is thinking about who God is. And he doesn't look at God and say, man, this God is a jerk for allowing me to go through this. He looks at God and he calls him the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. This means the word father of compassion, it means that he is the originator, the beginning of all compassion. Compassion comes from God. This is like a paradigm shift, right? Because even as a pastor, I get asked a lot, like, why would God allow this to happen? That's a pretty common question. And Paul's not thinking about that at all. He's thinking about who God is, and he's saying God is the one from whom all compassion comes. People want to talk about why there's pain. But maybe we should stop for a moment and ask why there's compassion. In a world where people are vying for honor, as we've talked about over the last couple weeks, if you've been around, where people are vying for popularity, where people are vying for money, where people are vying to be liked, where people are trying to stay alive, sometimes at the cost of others. Let's ask this, why is there compassion? Why does that exist? Let's take our eyes off of the bad stuff 
That stuff exists, and that's an easier question to answer. But why is it that there is such thing as compassion, caring about one another, when somebody's going through a bad thing? Why is it that people look at others and go, you're hurting, and I want to do something about that? And according to Paul here, the answer is that God is compassionate, and he has offered that compassion to the world, and out of it, we are able to be compassionate. He is the originator, the father, the one who created compassion. We have compassion because God exists and he is the God of all comfort. That word comfort is very, very important to this passage and what Paul says and all of the other things because it's said in one way or another ten times in about five verses. Ten times Paul uses this word comfort. It means to call alongside And it's the idea of seeing somebody that's hurting and struggling and calling them to your side in order that you can help them. And that help takes lots of different forms. Sometimes it's comfort in our traditional sense, like where you say, it's going to be okay. I'm here for you. God will work it out. Sometimes it's saying, look, here you need to get up. You need to do something. And it's a little bit tougher and a little bit you know, more difficult and straightforward. But it's really coming alongside somebody, putting your arm around them, either in a real sense or in a spiritual sense, and saying, I'm going to help you get through this because we're going to get through this together. And then Paul says this crazy, awesome, really important thing. He says this about God, the originator of comfort and compassion, who comforts us in all our troubles. That's a big deal. That's a really, 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 really big, Big deal. The promise here is that God will comfort us in all of our trouble. All. All is a very key word. When you see all anywhere, the Bible does not exaggerate. All. God will comfort us in all of our troubles. Now here's the, you need to know this. This is only true, only true for people who are Christians, who have said, I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and I'm going to give my life for him. We talk often about becoming a Christian so that you, you don't end up in hell eventually, but how I just let's just put that aside for one minute, and let's just say this. Here's a good reason. One of the world's best reasons to become a Christian is that now you have the promise that in all of your troubles, every single one, everything that you deal with, everything that makes you grieve, everything that's hard, everything that makes you feel heavy and feel like you're going to die, God will help you, will comfort you in all of it if you have given your life to him. That's awesome. We'll talk about why God allows things. But let's focus today on the fact that when God allows things to happen to you that you don't like and that hurt and make you kind of mad that God would even let you go through it. In those moments, God is there if you are a Christian to comfort you. No matter what it is. That's really cool. But then here, this next sentence is a sentence that's just not as fun, maybe, because it puts responsibility on us. Ready? This is really key. So that, so that, there's a reason that God has chosen to comfort you in everything that you're going through and is willing to do that for you if you'll let him. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is the answer to our question. 
When should we share? We should share when we have been comforted by God and we can comfort, help, come alongside, offer somebody assistance in all of the troubles (coughs) that they are going through. This is big. I mean, if you're on the vault side of things, like where you just, I don't, I'm not going to express anything and anything I go through and all, I'm just, my struggles are inside of me. Well, God didn't give you comfort for no reason. He likes you, but he didn't just do it because he likes you. It's not the reason. The reason is so that you can comfort other people. And so if you're like a guy or a woman who's just like, oh, I'm just getting comforted by God and this is awesome, but you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, then it's not going to make God very happy. We are comforted in all of our trouble by God so that we can comfort those in any trouble. This is a big deal. Now, on the flip side, if you're somebody who just expresses everything, but your goal is not to comfort others, your goal is just to get yourself out there, get attention, you know, whatever it might be. You just want people to to comfort you all the time. If that's your only goal, then you're also wrong. Paul is saying, look, the, the reason, the reason that I'm expressing this to you, the reason that I'm opening up, that I'm bearing my soul and how difficult this thing was that some people won't even say it was difficult, and, but I struggle with the reason that that's coming out. The reason I'm saying these things is that God is the originator of comfort and he has comforted me and does comfort me in everything and he does it so that I can comfort you. And so here, here are my feelings. This is what I went through. He continues, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. I'd like to just point out one thing. It's just almost a side note, and I don't like side notes, but just one quick side note. The sufferings of Christ is, is an interesting phrase because a lot of times you hear, if you ever watch TV and if you're like us and you just have uh, an antenna for your TV and you get like four Christian stations and four other stations and, and just about all of the Christian stations will tell you the same thing. If you become a Christian, then life is just going to get so much easier. You're going to have health and you're going to have wealth and things will go well for you. But that's not true. And Paul knew that better than anybody because he's just bared his soul. The truth is when you become a Christian, sometimes life gets harder because we share in the sufferings of Christ. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Becoming a Christian doesn't take away your problems. It doesn't make miscarriages go away. It doesn't make death go away. It doesn't make problems and pain and suffering go away. It doesn't do that. It just allows for us to have comfort. It allows for us to be comforted by God. The problems are going to be there whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. The only question is, do you want the guarantee of comfort? And if you do, then you need to give your life to Jesus. And he continues here. If we are distressed, notice this. This is so key. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. He says, if we're going through stuff that is hard and difficult, and if internally we feel this distress, this this tension, this difficulty, this struggle, these feelings that come along with grief, if we feel those things, then there's only two reasons for it. There's only two reasons God's letting us go through those things. So that we can comfort people, so that we can help other people, as we've already talked about. And, And this is so just salvation. I mean, this is important. Paul's saying, like, I... 
I've been allowed to struggle to go through these things and God has helped me through them in order that people will give their lives to Jesus as their savior and one day end up in heaven with me. If you want a good reason to bare your soul and to express your struggles, if it's gonna help somebody know Jesus as their savior, if you have an opportunity to say, look, I've been there, I've been through that, I know what you're feeling, and the only way I got through that is that the God of all comfort comforted me, and if you give your life to him, he'll do it for you too. That's a good reason to share. That's a good reason to open up about your struggles. And then this last part is really key, this, this patient endurance. He says, look, we're comforting you with the comfort we have received so that you can, you can increase in your patient endurance. The word for endurance there, it means to stay in place. It means to remain in a sphere, to stand against opposition, to hold out, to stand fast, to stay still, to remain, to endure, to stay in force. It really means to keep living for Jesus. And maybe you haven't been around Christianity enough or long enough to understand that a lot of times... When grief comes, people turn their backs on God and they stop living for him. I had a youth pastor once and um, I, I started to help with the youth ministry after, uh, after being in the youth group and uh, he was like my hero. Like I thought this guy was, was just absolutely incredible and uh, long story short, found out that he did not believe that the Bible was true. Uh, he didn't think that the Bible was much more than a good book written by some good Christian men and that it was full of, of just false things really and, and sometimes they just simply got things wrong and uh, and. We had a big conversation about this, not the most pleasant conversation, but a big conversation about this, and, and it came out uh, through that conversation that, that the reason he had decided this about the Bible was that he had had a son born prematurely. He had prayed that God would save his son, and his son died, and he decided at that point that the Bible must not be true anymore. And I think about him and how Grief radically altered his view of God and the way in which he lived for God and the way in which he thought about God. And I wonder this, was there a Christian in his life, was there a Christian who had been comforted by God in the same scenario, the same situation, who had lost a child, but refused, refused to open up about their feelings and their struggles and thus refused to offer him comfort in his struggles and thus caused him not to have patient endurance in the end. I just wonder, I wonder if somebody out there, somebody that went to church with him knew the pain and the struggling that he had gone through, but they were just a vault. I'm not going to share my feelings. I mean, what if I get made fun of? What if, it, what if he doesn't want to hear what I've been through? What if it doesn't really connect with him? And I wonder if somebody there had been comforted by God so that they could comfort him but they chose not to accept that obligation and no longer he patiently endured because of it. Paul is making quite clear that we share, he shares, so that others can find help through their grief. And he's showing us two major, major, major benefits. Some people will come to salvation if we're willing to open up and say, look, this is how I hurt and this is what I've been through and this is how God helped me. And some people will continue to live for Jesus in the midst of their grief if we, and all of the problems that they have, if we 
will bear our souls to them. And then he says what we've already read, we do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be uninformed. He says, I don't want you to not know what I went through, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. It's most likely a reference to what we saw happen in Ephesus with the goddess of Artemis. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. He continues, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. This is very interesting. Paul says, look, the comfort I got from God at some point at the end of it all when I don't think I can get through any of it, uh, at least I know one thing and that is God raises the dead. And you know how Paul knew that? Paul knew that because he had had an encounter with Jesus. Literally and physically, he had had an encounter with Jesus who he maybe had seen die on a cross and then he saw that Jesus had risen again and he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God raises people from the dead. And so Paul, at the very end of his rope, said, even when I don't know that I can continue on, at least I know this one thing, that if I die, God will raise me back to life in an eternal state. And I love what he says, he has delivered us. Paul's like, I know God has got me through things before. He will deliver us. I know he's going to get me through this, whether it's through raising me again from the dead or whether it's in some other way, I know he will deliver us. And I know that ultimately, he will deliver us who are Christians by allowing for us to live in eternity with him. He has delivered us, he will deliver us, and he ultimately will deliver us. And then he finishes by saying, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us and answer to the prayers of many. So Paul comes back to the first reason that I gave. He's saying, look, another reason that I'm expressing this is that I want you to pray for me. I need your help through prayer. And if you will pray, then I know that God will do something special. And as God does something special, people will glorify him. That's pretty important. I mean, how often do you not ask for prayer because you don't, prayer because you don't want to put yourself out there? And how many times has God not been thanked because people haven't prayed for you and the struggles that you are having? Here's the simple truth. Paul gives us two reasons. Two reasons to share. Share if you need help with something. If you have a sin in your life that you can't break, if you are going through something and you just don't think you can get past it, if you are struggling with depression and you know that it's not gonna break on its own, if, if you just cannot get past something, if you need help with something, then share. If you're just like so financially burdened that you're never gonna make it and you're like, I can't get out of this debt and I can't, I can't fix this, then you need, to, you need to share. If you're like, oh, man, I just, there's this family problem and, and I can't fix it, I, I don't know what to say to these people and, and I don't know how to, to deal with this anymore, then share. Maybe somebody will have advice. Open up, express your feelings, talk about it. And the other reason to share is because you want to help others. That is in fact the reason that Bryn and I have chosen to share this with you, this sermon series, is because we think 
that we can help somebody. We think that by expressing the struggles that we have, especially because I get up on a stage and preach every week, that, that we can help other people who are struggling, not just with miscarriage, that's just what we struggled with in the last year, but all struggles. We think that we can help people be comforted, we can help people come to salvation, and we can help people uh, patiently endure when they face a myriad of different experiences. I wrote it down like this because I like to rhyme, share because you care. I mean, if you're just like sharing things because you're worried about yourself and you want to look good and you want attention, then stop. I mean, you just, people won't like you anymore. I mean, if you're just like, look, I got these hemorrhoids and like nobody's going to like you. Like, I mean, that's, that's no benefit. If you go to a doctor and share it because you need help, right? And there's a radio commercial that will get that fixed up for you, I know, but... But look, don't just go around blabbing about all your problems. Nobody likes that. Open up because you care about others or because you need help. Share because you care about living differently and getting through it and share because you care about comforting other people and leading other people to salvation. I'm telling you, don't be a vault when an opportunity comes up. It's so easy to say, well, I'm not going to share. They'll figure it out, you know. I mean, they'll get through it. But God has comforted you maybe because he wants you to comfort somebody that's going through the same thing. When I was going through a really hard time in life every day, as I would walk out towards school, I would recite two verses. One of them... I didn't like nearly as much as the one I'm about to read to you because I don't remember it now. But, uh, but this verse has been... The most important verse in my life, probably two verses actually, Psalms 94, 18 and 19, it says, and this, I don't know what translation this is, I think I just learned it wrong as a kid, um, uh, but this is how I learned it, and so if you look for this translation, you probably won't find it. When I feel my foot slipping, your faithfulness, O Lord, supports me, and when I'm filled with cares, your reassurance soothes my soul forever. Just after I graduated, I, I, uh, I went to Hawaii on a senior trip, and uh, by, by the, the gracious hand of God, it worked out, because I really didn't want to do it, but it worked out that I was able uh, to fly directly from Hawaii to San Diego to meet my youth group for uh, a mission trip in southeast San Diego, and never been... Uh, past SeaWorld in San Diego, then, uh, then you don't know what Southeast San Diego is like. It's uh, very poor. Um, it's uh, about 95, in many neighborhoods, 95% Mexican people. Um, it is uh, lots of crime. It's not a, a very good area down there in Southeast San Diego. And, and so I met them there, and we were kind of helping build things. And, and somebody uh, said, hey, will you share your testimony? And yeah, I'll share my testimony. I mean, I'm from Oregon. I have nothing in common with these people. We're not the same race. Uh, they're kids. I'm not. The, the people I was sharing my testimony with were kids primarily. Uh, they're poor. I'm not. They deal with crime every day of their lives. I don't. But whatever, I'll share my testimony. And so got up, talked about my life, talked about how important that verse has been to me. And uh, the next day, this kid, uh, Mikey was his name, comes up to me and says, can we take a walk? And we weren't like allowed to go outside of the church because it wasn't very safe. And, uh, and I'm like, I don't know, I'll find out. And uh, apparently somebody didn't care about me that much because some youth leader, I think, just was like, yeah, take a walk. <laughs> Maybe we'll get ready, I don't know. Um, so, so I take a walk with this kid and 
he, he says that this is the most incredible thing. It was life-changing for me. It's the reason that I'm willing to share, I think, today and understand what Paul has told us in this passage so well. He goes, you know that stuff you talked about last night? That's just like my life. I mean, I couldn't have been further from like my neighborhood and from my family and from my culture. And this kid who I had nothing in common with, I thought, looks at me and goes, that stuff you shared, that's just like my life. Him and his brother gave their lives to Jesus. Um, That night was one of the greatest nights of my life, to be honest with you. And as I shared, as I opened up, I said, these are my struggles and this is how God has helped me through. It literally changed the life of two little, lives of two little boys that, that I seemingly, except for being a human being and what's common to man, had nothing in common with. And I'm telling you that in those moments and through what Paul has told us in our passage today, I've learned a very valuable lesson that I need to be willing to share if I truly care. I can't be a vault. I can't just lock up and say, yeah, God help me, but I'm not gonna tell you about it because I've never had a struggle. I'm an American, you know, and, and I am a Wilsonville American. We don't have problems. We have brick buildings and brick lives and we are perfect and everything is nice as this gym that we're meeting in right now. I can't be like that. I gotta say, look, here's my hurts. Here's my struggles. Here's the difficulties. Here's the things that I've been through and here's how God helped me. And I'm telling you that he's not gonna take away your problems and he's not gonna take away your pain and you're gonna go through things, but God will help you. So you wonder why, why, why this topic, it's not socially acceptable. Why are you gonna bare your soul about the feelings you had about miscarriage? It's the same answer to why you should bare your soul about the thing that you're thinking of right now that God has helped you through. It's because you care about others. I just want to say for you, uh, some of you might not be Christians in this room. Uh, I hope that you all are, but uh, probably not all of you have given your lives to Jesus. Not all of you have looked and said, I believe that a man named Jesus lived a sinless life and he died on a cross and, and he did that to take the punishment of my sins and then he rose again to conquer death and if I give my life to him, I can, I can get into heaven. And some of you have just chosen not to give your lives to Jesus. And this morning, this is like real, just from me to you, I want you to know how much comfort you're missing out on. I mean, you are, you are like trying to get through just life and life is not that fun or easy. You're trying to do it without the help of the one who, who created compassion and comfort. And so some of you, you just need to like give your lives to Jesus. You, need, you just need to give yourself to him and accept the gift of salvation so that you can receive comfort. Some of you, you're going through things and you need help and you just need, to, you just need to tell somebody. You say, look, I need help and you need to find somebody in our church maybe. You need to talk to me and we'll give you the opportunity to do that in, in just a minute. You need to come find somebody and say, look, I'm going through this and I don't think I can get through it and I need help. And then there's others of you who just need to be willing to share. And maybe you already know somebody who's grieving and you just need to go have a conversation and you need to just tell them, this is how God got me through it. 
A lot of times people say this, they say, uh, the church is supposed to be a hospital, a place for the sick. And it's not a very good metaphor because uh, it gives off the idea that there's like some doctors in the church who make everybody better and you just kind of show up and then somebody will fix you and that's not the case because, uh, because the church is more like a place just with sick people and no doctors, which is not the greatest hospital ever. Uh, but, uh, and I'm sorry if that's depressing, but, but the metaphor has some good value. And, and the value in it is that church is supposed to be a place where people can come when they have problems and they have issues and they have struggles and they're grieving and they're supposed to be able to be open. And we don't find that enough in church. That's usually when it gets talked about. And here's the reality, the truth. It's never going to change until you decide to share because you care. Never will. I mean, church will always be a place where people come and they put on their nice clothes and they try to look their best. And if people ask how, how you are, you always say fine. And, and nobody ever talks about real stuff. And, and, we, and we, if you, you get in a connect group, but even in the connect group, you're like, yeah, everything's good, you know, and I'm doing just fine. Like the, then church will never be what it's supposed to be. A bunch of people who, who have problems and who grieve and who struggle coming together so that we can share the comfort of God and say this is how God got me through and the other person said this is how God got me through and maybe together we can get through these other things in a way that shows that we have patiently endured I mean it's never going to change you can talk about it you can theorize about it like yeah church should be a place where people feel good about expressing themselves and talking about the struggles that they've been through but until you are willing to share because you care, it will never, ever be that. But imagine, just imagine a church. Imagine our church if we were just real. And it wasn't like, yep, fine. It's like, whew, it was hard. You know, I mean, I had a hard week. But God, you know, he, I thought of this verse. I thought of that verse Chad gave us Sunday. And I remembered that and it, it helped me, but it was not easy. It's like, can you just picture a church where we, we just put down the facade? I think we could change the world. I think people would show up here like, really? They're not fake? And, and people would stop calling Christians fake? And people would stop calling Christians hypocrites? Because they'd be like, those people aren't hypocrites. They just talk about their problems. I mean, nobody there, nobody there is talking about being perfect because they're all talking about how God is the only one who's helped them through the struggle. It would change everything. And it starts because you learn to share because you care. Will you pray with me, Lord? I am sorry that we are, and I don't know why we are, but we are so slow to open up, to express ourselves, our struggles, our problems, our grief. And God, I, I, I hope, really do hope, um, that over the course of the next four weeks, God, as, as, we, as we look at responses to my kind of feelings and struggles and the things that... That, that I felt uh, going through these miscarriages and that Bryn felt, Lord. I pray that, that you would move us to be a church where we talk about the things that, that have been hard for us and are hard for us. And, and we kind of just put down the fakeness, Lord, and, and instead we replace it with the willingness to share so that others can be comforted so that others can come to salvation, so that others, God, can patiently endure through everything, no matter what life gives them, God. And Lord, I wanna, I wanna thank you for the comfort that you have always given. And uh, it doesn't matter what I've gone through, God, you, you comfort. And 
Lord, I know as we went through these miscarriages, Psalms 19, 94, 18 and 19 came back, Lord, like, like they never left my heart and my mind. And Lord, I know at other hard times you've brought the song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus to my mind just when I needed it to come to my mind and to my heart. And you've always comforted me. You've always helped me through every struggle. And I thank you for that. I thank you for originating compassion and comfort. And I pray that we would be a church that comforts, that is compassionate towards others, Lord. (sighs) Thank you for being so good to us, for caring so deeply about us, for loving us so much, Lord. In your name, amen.